is time for Around the 412 with Smitty and Tyler. Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I am Tyler, like Josh said, and that is Smitty. Uh, be sure to go follow us on all of our social medias, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. So subscribe to us there, Around the 412 at all of it. And also, as well, go check out all the links that we have in, in the description of the shows. We added a new leak last week because we kicked off our Rocket Around the 412 Go GoFundMe for year six of the mission. Um, in the past five years, we've been able to, with all the help of all of you, to be able to raise over $25,000 to help children in our 724-412 area. Um, and along with that, we are going to continue to find individual families to help out, but also connect with the Salvation Army in Rochester, PA, to to be able to help, help out some of the kids from their foundation as well. Um, and so if you want to go check that out, the link is going to be at the top of the description um, of each and every show from now up until November or December. So um, go check that out, read about it, and uh, donate if you can. If not, please share the message as much as you can um, just to get the word out. Um, that logo that you guys see above Tyler, Teats Barbershop, that's the sponsor of our show. Um, if you watch on YouTube, you always see it scrolling across the bottom. bottom. Probably need to do a better job of shouting him out. Also, um, just want to say that, you know, going, I just got my hair cut today, but while I was over there talking with Christian, bringing up what the, hair? You know, we launched the, uh, yeah, bringing up the Christmas <laughs> mission and everything, what we're going to do and what they're, he's being kind enough to do over there is he's going to have a don- donation bin for the Salvation Army. Oh, that's awesome. Angel Tree. So, they're going to be collecting stuff there. I'll obviously, you know, be getting stuff like that. But if you want to donate gifts directly to the kids, that can be stuff that goes to them directly as well, because we can't wrap this stuff anyway. So stuff that's donated can go straight from Keeks to the Salvation Army. It'll be great. So they're nice enough to, to put a donation bin over there. So if you are in the Beaver County area, first off, you should be getting your hair cut by Christian anyway. Second off now, if you can, you can drop a donation off as well. So shout out to teach barbershop. Um, Josh gets off ever so elegantly bringing us in once again this week. So I think for that reason, let's just start with some penguins talk, not a whole lot to talk about, but a couple things, uh, little minor signings, maybe, you know, more bottom six guys added to the Penguins roster. Why not? I guess you could never have enough for your Kyle Dubas. Uh, Vinny Hinostraza, as well as former Maple Leaf, Andreas Johnson. So, you know, this is just more. He had to get one of his guys again from Toronto. Of course. And then Vin- Vinny Hinostraza, who's had a couple different stops. I actually, there's at one point in time when he was with the Coyotes, he had like, I don't know, was it like a 16-goal season or something like that? I thought he maybe was at like 24 years old. Um I thought maybe he would be something. He's he's a bottom six player, and he's not even like a mainstay. He didn't play. He played like less than thirty games last season in Buffalo. So this is a guy to maybe compete for a spot within the bottom six. More than likely, he's like I don't know a of that thirteenth forward or maybe even AHL call up injury call up mold. Um, but you know you can you need those guys. So I don't hate either of these signings. It just it gets your mind going a little bit. Like were these guys brought in because there could be somebody in the bottom six on their way out. Yeah, that's true. And honestly, that's something that I didn't even think of. I immediately just thought that these were guys. That's that, 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 that's a good point. Um, you know, I, I just thought when I saw these signings that they were guys that in looking at the, the dollar figure too, they're not making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think bet- between the two of them, um, what Henestrosa is making seven hundred and seventy-five thousand, and Andreas Johnson is making eight hundred thousand. So even if they go down to the AHL, that, that's basically you're not really paying any difference there um, from from a lot of AHL players anyway. So it's mm-hmm. it's depth for the bottom six. And you're right, Vinny Henestrosa in 2018-19, he had sixteen goals, uh, twenty-three assists, thirty-nine points. That's his best yeah. season by far. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the, the the season before last, he did have 25 points, 13 goals. But then last year, like you said, he only played 26 games. So not really playing a lot at the NHL level. Um, and then Andreas Janssen, I, I I think that this was one, and kind of like, like what you said, it, it was one of the Toronto guys that we knew that it was going to happen. Uh, someone had to come over from Toronto. 
And even though it's not somebody that is necessarily going to make an impact, I, I think it it just makes sense to keep bringing in multiple guys into that bottom six. When I look at what happened last year, how everything unfolded, and our main focus for this offseason outside of goaltending was that bottom six. You're not getting a lot of guys, and even with the signings that they have done so far, like prior to this, you're not getting a ton of guys that have a lot of scoring, but you have some guys with some some veteran sense to them. They've been in the league for a while, and it's a lot of change of scenery for a lot of guys. So I think that this is more of a not just a depth move and potentially, like you said, I didn't even think about like potentially Granlin or somebody else being on the move out of the bottom six. This could just be replacing yeah. bodies. Um, but I think it's definitely something that is uh, they're just trying to kind of like throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks with this bottom six this season, um, especially that fourth line. I feel like we're just going to see a lot of new faces ro- rotationally and hopefully on that third line too. Like I said, the third line as it is right now, is Grandlin, Lars Eller, and uh, Jeff Carter. So hoping something there changes. But yeah, these these signings aren't necessarily super noteworthy, but they are interesting, especially considering that the Penguins are still over the cap and just adding to that total. Because I texted, <laughs> I, texted I, I gave you a a, uh, a little false hope when I texted you about it. Oh, yeah. I just texted you <laughs> saying that, that, that Dubas does not care about the cap or whatever I said. And you immediately... Yeah traded for Eric Carlson <laughs> mm-hmm. and and no they didn't do that yet but now they are I think they were sitting at like one point something but they they're 2.3 million over the cap still not worried about that like these are contracts you can send down to the miners and get them off the cap and it's not really a big deal that you're paying those contracts as they're sub 1 million anyway um mm-hmm. but I I do think that it is interesting that they're continuing to sign bodies um even though they were already over the cap and continuing to do so. And I'm, I'm curious to see if this is it for Kyle, at least from a forward perspective. Like, are we looking at the group of forwards that we're going into the season with? And if that's the case, the bottom six is different, but I don't necessarily know if it's better than it was. You're, you're, from what I see at your forward group, you are really relying on them to have a repeat year from last year from the top six. You, you're basically saying like we need you to score everything. We have improved a little bit defensively on the back end or on the bottom six, but besides that, we're not going to provide much of an offensive tick. So we need Sid and Gino, and then thirty-six and seven-year-olds to continue to have point per game seasons, and we're going to continue to uh, not score. Is what I see on the surface. Now that things could change, um, some of these guys could have good years. I mean, Alex Nylander could have a good year. Um, but I, I think that right now, as I look at it, I don't know that I'm confident that I can say that we're necessarily just overall better than we were a few months ago in the forward position. Yeah. Um, just real quick, I want to know, because I mentioned Hina Straza had that one 16-goal season. Andreas Johnson had a 20-goal season back in 2018 as well. So, you know, in his time with Dubas, Dubas obviously saw something there. What's interesting, though, is even despite that, obviously an outlier, the highest total he had other than that was 13. He's a defensive-minded forward, so he kind of fits what they've kind of built within that bottom six. I agree with everything that you said. I I, I think they're actually going to be way better defensively, though. I don't think it's just a slight upgrade defensively that they have within their bottom six. I think they're significantly better from a defensive perspective with what they brought in. But I will say I still don't like the idea in hearing him talk today. It seems pretty much in stone that Lars Eller is 3C. I mean, if you heard him and his media availability today or saw you know clips or people quoting him or anything like that, it sounds like he was brought in to be that guy behind Sid and Gino. And from again, from a defensive perspective, I think you can still trust him to go and do that and take on those assignments. But offensively, he he doesn't provide what I think you need from a secondary option. And that is not just in the goal scoring department, but in the playmaking department. I just don't think he has that within him at this point in his career offensively um i mean he's 34 years old and it's not like okay we talk and he's not the caliber of player of like sid or gino at this stage of their career Mm -hmm. um he's an old 34 year old um he can't turn like i don't even know how else to say that (laughs) like literally like you watch him skate he can't turn um i just i i really struggle to see the vision with him offensively maybe 
you know, I think what you need to have happen for it to work offensively. And I, I mentioned it last week. One, I, I want to bring up Drew O'Connor because he's going to arbitration and also it's literally the last day to possibly be, which I think is interesting. We'll talk about that in a second, but really what I think needs to happen for that line to, to provide secondary scoring is Nylander to pop off. Like, I think he needs to Mm -hmm. live up to that pedigree of being an eighth overall draft pick and tap into that potential, which like you watch him, he passes the eye test, right? I think we both agree on that. You watch him skate around last year. I know like the numbers aren't going to jump off the page, but he looks confident when the puck is on his stick. He doesn't seem to mind being the guy crossing the blue line with the puck. Um, and he likes to shoot. So I, I think that if he has a year where he scores, you know, 15 plus goals, like he's going to have to be that guy to make or break the third line. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I'll, I'll let actually you touch on that because then I want to talk about Drew O'Connor's arbitration. So what do you think about Nylander? Is he the one guy that if you're looking at the bottom six, you can maybe get some goal scoring from? But yeah, he's the one that I just mentioned too. Like when I looked at the, just the, the bottom six forward group they have now, I don't see a ton of scoring on the surface. The only one that I think that has a real potential of being a true scorer in that bottom six and has the scoring touch is Nylander. And granted, that is with the pedigree that he has um, of being that eighth overall pick. But like you said, he does pass that eye test. You can tell from whenever he's on the ice when we watched the games last year that he is not quite the same as the other bottom six forward. He has a little bit more skill than them offensively. He has a little bit more skill with the puck on his stick than they do. I think that in a more full-time role in the NHL, and granted, I don't know what his line mates are going to look like, but I'm hoping he can be able, be able to drive the offense on whatever line he's on because that's the guy that they're probably really relying on to to drive offense in that bottom six because yeah, you got nothing from Granlin last year. So unless there's a complete 180 turnaround, you're gotten, you and got I'll, nothing I there. I will say this, too. I'm a little bit worried if we see him be a regular in the lineup if Granlin's still on this roster. Yeah, yeah. And what's what's tough, and, and it's so stupid, but you, you just talk about the contract that he has, and it's like, are they going to play him just because of that, he, he, even though he is a liability on the ice? I like. I don't know how much that actually weighs into – a general manager slash coach's mind, whether they play a player or not because of the contract that they have. And I, I, I think that they shouldn't, but I don't know if it does. Um, but, and also I don't think you can rely on a, how is Jeff Carter 38 still, or is he 39? Um, <laughs> either, either way, I, don't know. I think he's 38 still, and he might turn 39 during the season. But I don't think you can rely on a 38 to 39 year old Jeff Carter to really drive offense anymore in that bottom six as well. And he could be a, a, a big liability this upcoming season. His birthday's despite, in January. So, yeah. He's yeah. Despite, I mean, he scored 13 goals, which is fine. And if Jeff Carter has Mike, um, that's the thing. I'm going to say he's he's on the third line, but that, that, that line is probably going to play more like a fourth line role anyway. Um, yeah. So if that if that's what he gets, then then I'm fine with it. But you're not really getting a lot from those guys. Alex Nylander is the only one that I think could potentially score like 15 plus goals. Um, and I, I, I think that you could see him elevate. Like, I think that based off of where the roster's at now, he does still on that, that fourth line, quote unquote, fourth line, because of the way that it's constructed with Lars Eller being the 3C. And then I think you have Granlin and Carter on that line as well. I think he could elevate to that. And we even saw him elevate to the top six a little bit last year on the Malkin line. So he has scoring touch. That's the only one on the surface that I think will have scoring touch to open up this season. And I'm hoping that I'm wrong with some of these guys. Like I am hoping that Achiari or um, who who are some of the others that we brought in, uh, Matt Nieto, like some of these other guys can find. Well, I think those guys can score eight to 10, but I like, we know what the, I think the floor is safe with them. I, I, there's no ceiling yeah. to their scoring. Like, so that's, that's the I problem I, I feel like because you're really relying on like Sid and Gino and company to really just re- repeat what they did last year. And I don't think, as much as I believe that they can do that, I don't think that's something that you want to do or, or should want to do going into a season. You shouldn't want to rely on your your 36 year olds to to have to score 90 points again. 
the goal should be easing the burden on those guys as they get, you know, older. But here, here we are. They're relying on them just as much, if not more, over the last couple seasons. Um, Drew O'Connor's arbitration case, I wanted to bring up to tie in with the last thing. Does it mean anything to you, the fact that they are, that one, he's going to arbitration. Uh, it's the last day that it possibly could be doing this it also opens up that second buyout window for them to utilize if they choose to uh we've already touched uh, you know a couple different episodes on how kyle dubas feels about the buyout but i just didn't know if you thought they were keeping this door open because of an eric carlson potential move i don't know if that's why they would be keeping it open i personally would hope that's the reason i mean, I mean you and i have been very vocal about being on board with eric carlson to pittsburgh um that could be the case. And I, I don't know what, what Drew O'Connor is going to get in arbitration um, because he hasn't really been a full NHL guy. So I don't or know. Or are they much... dangling his rights? It, they could. Um, they could, especially with, like like I said, the guys that they keep, they, they, they brought in two more guys this week and they're already over the cap. I mean, that's a lot of I bodies. Like and, and some of them have to go to the AHL. I already know that. But what are they going to do with all the bodies that they have? That's so maybe they are dangling his rights and then looking to see if there's a trade partner out there. Maybe you'll, yeah. he'll get packaged in the Eric Carlson trade. Who knows? Um, but I, I, I just think that they have a very packed bottom six right now of a lot of mid um, <laughs> to be at least offensively, defensively, they're good, but um, offensively it's very, very mid right now. I think Eric Carlson could change that. You basically have another I, forward on defense. I think like the way that this roster is constructed, they need Eric Carlson. Like I, I think I, I brought this up last week on the show. If I didn't, like I talked about it with somebody and I thought I brought it up on the show. The way that this bottom six is set up, like you need Eric Carlson just to bring secondary scoring that those guys aren't giving you. Like uh, whether it's Eric Carlson or I know that people are saying like they have a plan B. I don't even know what that potentially is, but there's not another defenseman that is going to bring that offensive production anywhere. Like this is the one guy. That's why I feel like points last year. Yeah. Like that's (laughs) the one guy, like the penguins can't lose this sweepstakes to Carolina. In my opinion, whether Carolina gets them or not, Carolina is going to be fine next year. They're still to be a Stanley cup contender. The penguins, if they get him, that pushes them. I feel like, pretty comfortably into the into the mix for a playoff spot without him i think they're in the same spot that they are this year where it's like they very well could Mm -hmm. be on the outside looking in yeah no i agree because and that's kind of what i was alluding to i look at the roster and i don't know that you're overall better than you were last year you have at least right now potentially the same goalie tandem we'll see what the future holds with casey to smith um bringing in nadelkovich um but your defense, I think it's it's more or less a wash right now. I do think you get an improvement with Ryan Graves over Brian Dumlin, but um, as as far as the defense as a whole goes, I don't think there's a huge difference. And then looking at your bottom six, you get better defensively, but you're still not scoring goals. So your forwards, from the goal of what forwards are supposed to do, I don't think that they necessarily got better. I think they they more or less stayed the same with different players. So. At least right now, I don't know that they are much improved from last year, and you're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. Eric Carlson could make that push to put you over the top. Um, I, I I think that he is a, one of the only players that would be able to come in and do that, but are they willing to, to make that move? I mean, I, I do not know what the cap is going to – or what, what sort of trade is going to have to look like because obviously they have to move money out. And yeah. the two names that we brought up last week, Petrie and Granlin, one of those guys that would make sense to get moved in that trade. I feel like Petrie would be more likely because he is not as much of a liability, even though his contract is more money. Um, Can I just bring up uh, is like a black hole. Let me bring up the proposed trade that I saw somebody throw out there. Uh, so this is, it didn't mention who the third team would be, that, but there would be a third team involved. The only thing the Penguins are getting out of this deal, mind you, is Eric Carlson. The assets, the Penguin assets, I'll put that on some of these, the Penguins would be giving up are Jeff Petrie and Granlund would both be on their way out, along with P.O. Joseph, two first round picks, and Owen Pickering. Okay, I... <laughs> 
you almost feel like you ha- you're get you're like one of those first round picks is probably being utilized to get Granland out. So it's like the rest of it yeah. is basically for acquiring Carlson. Yeah, because I mean that's the scenario person. that I brought up back in March, when I, <laughs> literally probably like three weeks after we traded for him, I, I floated around mm-hmm. the idea and I brought it up on here. Would you package a first round pick with Granland to get him out of here? Um, Can I also I I want to add, I don't think it it takes this. I don't think so. I, I don't. Especially he wants out of San Jose, and I understand they don't have to trade him, but it, it's very clear to me that San Jose doesn't really hold the cards in, in, in this game right now. So yeah. I, I don't think that two first plus your former first round pick plus another team's former first round pick and POJ like I, I don't think it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna cost that much. And also, yeah. I what is the what, what about the what about Petrie? What about Petrie, POJ, a first in Pickering? So three defensemen <laughs> and the first round pick. Um, well, well, that's that's actually might what have I was... to send. They wouldn't. That's, they wouldn't all be going to San Jose though. Right, and that's actually what I was just going to look at. Like, what do I think the defense would look like without these guys, and who's taking their spot? Um, the tough I feel thing like... is, I would rather dump Granlin's contract. But it has to be Petrie just from a construction perspective because you're not paying $6.25 million to the third-pairing right-handed defenseman. Yeah. No, that's why I love the part in the first trade where you get rid of both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, and honestly, like, I know two firsts is a lot, but if you if you take out Pickering and POJ and you said Petrie, Granlin, and two firsts, like, I, I'd be more well, open to listening to that. My issue with this is... I'm assuming because we're getting rid of both of those contracts, there's not being retained salary on Carlson's deal, right? Because it doesn't say that in this, at least. I don't know what you think about. I, I'm not. I'm well, maybe not they're going to. They're, they're going years. to the two different teams, so maybe there is this salary. I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, there has to be. There's no way. Like, he he would be the biggest contract on the team. I'm right? not interested. I'm not interested in Carlson with with a min- unless there's a minimum of thirty percent retained on it. So if he's making around like seven million, I don't know what exactly what his contract is. Isn't it's, it he's like making 10? eleven million, eleven million a year 11. for the next four? Okay, so it'd be yeah. like seven point seven million. I think that's good. Like between seven and a half and eight, I can live with. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and I think that just looking at the defense right now as it's constructed, what we think the starters are going to be. So I think you still have. Chris Letang and Ryan Graves on the top pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would assume that you would put Carlson and Petrie to, or, or Pedersen together. Not have Petrie. to. You have, have to. to. I think, uh, like I said last week, I, I think, and I know that this is high praise for Pedersen. I know a lot of people don't view him this way. I think that's the best defensive, just as a defenseman partner that Eric Carlson will have had. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that too. I think Marcus Pedersen is the unsung, I don't know if I can say, necessarily say unsung hero, um, but he's the most underrated player in that defense right now from the fan base perspective because they don't they don't value his defense. I, I think he is Brian Dumlin of 2016 that's, right now. I was just that's literally what I was going to say is because Brian Dumlin and I, I remember best, saying but... this on Twitter. Brian Dumlin in those cup runs, like 16 to 17, I would say even though like Latang is clearly the number one defender, like he's the number one D. Brian Dumlin is the best defender on the team, and I don't. It wasn't close. I I think that's the case with Pedersen right now, um, and I do think that if you trade for Carlson, you do get worse defensively um, on defense. But I think the offense doesn't matter. Like the the amount of offense you're going to be driving at that point, it doesn't matter if you get worse defensively. Like he also just he doesn't play, have to play defense a lot. Like it's not like he spends a lot of time when he does have to, it's obviously not good, but he spend he doesn't spend that much time doing it. Like they're yeah. I mean, pretty he's much consistently four. Yeah. And they're and, always and in the it, neutral zone or in the offensive end. Like very rarely does he have to. Yeah, and and that's why like I I think this trade makes a ton of sense because Look, I mean, I'm looking at uh, on daily faceoff right now, just looking at what the p- projected like lineup looks like. And with that bottom six you have, you need to drive more scoring from the blue line. Regardless, even w- if they had a better bottom six, I think you needed to drive more scoring from the blue line anyway. 
you can't have Latang being the only one driving offense from well, that, there. That was like the whole reason, um, supposedly, that we acquired Petrie, and it didn't, it didn't work the way we thought. It didn't yeah. work. Um, and to to get that contract off the books, along with with the potential like Granlin off the books to acquire Eric Carlson, I'm all for that. Like we we are all in from around the four and two. We are all in on Eric Carlson to Pittsburgh. By just, far, I'll say it. I'll say it again. I feel like they have to. Like I, I feel like they have to land him with the way that the rest of the offseason went. I feel like they have to get Eric Carlson. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, and I, I think that you figure out the money. That's Dubis's problem. Um, but, but he, you have to bring in someone like that if you want to improve your team. Because I'm literally looking at the lineup right now from from what it w- would look like for night one, and I just don't see a, a drastic improvement. I, I don't. I think that you you have somewhat of like a wash, I would say, from from last year's version of Zucker with Riley Smith. Like, obviously they're not the same exact player, but at least from a production standpoint, I think it's a wash. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most of the bottom six, like right now, they have they don't even have Nylander in the, in the projected lineup. Um, they have Drew O'Connor, so maybe that one switches out. But then. Noel Atri- Atiari, uh, Matt Nieto, and that that third line is what we were saying. Granlin, Eller, and Carter. That Granlin, Eller, Carter line is going to be terrible, and I think the rest of them is a wash overall because you get better defensively, but you don't improve on offense at all. And then the defense, you improved with Ryan Graves, but it pretty much stayed the same otherwise. I, I don't think that that's enough to get you over the hump. And from from what we saw, especially like Florida in the playoffs, like they're not going anywhere. Um, and and I, I just think it's going to be hard to make the postseason again with the adjustments that's been made so far. You're you're re- you're really relying on a lot. Well, I mean, of, look in the of change of scenery I've... to help these players out a lot. That's what you're relying on. Look in the division, New Jersey. I think is going to take a huge leap next. And year they were ahead of schedule. Were yeah, Carolina, obviously. I, the Rangers have the goaltending. Like he's Shesterkin's always going to keep them in the mix. Look at what the Islanders did the second half of last season. I mean, Sorokin's always going to keep them in as well. Yeah, fresh off a new contract. So I don't know. I I think they have to make this move to be relevant. And that's not even including Washington as well. Like I'm not saying Washington. Yeah, I didn't good, say. I just don't know what but, to think about them next season. But I I think if you're a Washington fan, you could be saying the same thing about the Penguins. Like from the outside looking in, you could look mm-hmm. at the wa- what Washington is right now and what Pittsburgh is, and see a lot of similarities. You still have some some more veteran guys that can score, but the 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 rest of the lineup is very questionable. And and we can't just use the fallback of oh the Penguins and who's in net? They're always there. <laughs> so that's a problem they have too. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of similarities, and we can't just fall back on the fact that the Penguins will somehow just at the end of the day find a way because they always do. They didn't this past season, so that's out the window now. Well, I mean, if they play the Blackhawks, the second to last game of the season, we're not making the playoffs. No. Spent a lot more time on the Penguins than I thought we were going to. We're going to uh, switch up. We're going to talk about the Steelers next. Just uh, one thing to talk about. It's a contract, potential upcoming contract, and it's not Alex Highsmith. We haven't talked about this yet, but it just popped in my mind. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, so year three is typically a huge year for players in the NFL. Everybody talks about that year two leap, but really year three is when you see a a massive jump, um, especially when you look at the way that the Steelers kind of went about their business this offseason to kind of cater their offense around this guy, third-year running back Najee Harris. With it being his third year, this is the last year that he's going to play before they have to make a decision about a fifth-year option. And he will also be extension eligible after this season before year four. Um, We know how that typically goes with running backs. I think we're going to be in agreement on this, but man, does it suck to think about. Obviously, love Najee as a person, Uh love Najee as a player, but he's a running back in the way that he plays running back. Just he's been durable. I will say that I have to give him that, but I think a lot of the fan base is going to not like this conversation and disagree with us. 
I uh, I can't say I'm on board with, with making Najee Harris one of the highest paid running backs and giving him a new deal after his rookie contract expires. And I'm not either. So let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Um, <laughs> if you've been a fan of Around the 412 for a while and if you've watched our our live shows during the draft and just listen to us talk about football and the running back position specifically, you would know that neither of us are really fans of giving running backs contracts, um, big lucrative contracts. And there's reasoning for that. It is the most, and this, this is probably going to trigger so many people, but it's the most replaceable position. I feel like at times, I, I, I think that you can get the production elsewhere. Even if it's not from one guy, it's by committee. I think you can replace the production easier at running back. And of course, there are outliers. Like, not everybody is Christian McCaffrey. If you want to if you want to pay him, you're not paying a running back. You're just paying a football player at that point. So that's completely different. But Najee Harris to me, and you probably, he's a good running back who is also old. This, not, not, for a third year running back, he's he's yeah. technically old. Um, he's 25 years old. He'll turn 26 in like uh six or seven months or something like that. But then during the season, you look at the look at the touches he had at Alabama. Look at the touch he he had 381 touches in 2021, his rookie season. He led the league in touches. Uh, at least according to football reference, because typically when it's bold on football reference. Yeah, yeah. It, that means he led the league. So yeah, he led the league in touches last year. He had a little bit of injury, 313 touches. Like this is a guy that they're relying on a lot. He gets the ball a lot. And even outside of what I think about running backs, just looking at the player himself, I really like what Najee brings, but that is a heavy load to put on a player and then give him this big lucrative contract after four years of just beating the hell out of him. Um, and then expect him to keep on being able to do it. That's why mm-hmm. I and probably you are in the opinion you give him that that fifth year extension and then you wave, say so long, farewell, I'll feed her saying goodbye, and then you draft another one or you sign another one or you just you just get a different running back. I don't think that at, at that point, Najee is going to be 27 years old, 28 years old. And for running backs, that's getting close to the twilight of your career for most running backs. So I do not want to give him a contract and then that's going to trigger a lot of people, but I just, I just think it makes more sense to find a new one. Yeah. I mean, it it sucks because you're thinking about this from like how the team would juice as many years out of him, you know, exercise that fifth year option. I brought that up too. Like I'm fine with that aspect of it. Heck, I don't know if, you know, if you can get him on a year of a tag without him holding out and him playing on it, sure like whatever that's fine i guess but th- that's a lot of money for one year too um it's it's weird because we're talking about like the amount of touches they've tried to ease some of that by you know having a really good back behind him and jalen warren but that's also going against the case of paying him when you have a guy like jalen warren mm-hmm. behind him who can be you know a 1a to somebody else's 1b that they brought in to compliment him um so it's it's tough but the running back position in general it's very it's almost uncomfortable to talk about because it's just like they're human beings and you almost feel like you're just like devaluing them because you're talking about their profession, which has been so devalued in today's state of the NFL. Um, And, you know, like I said, to Najee's credit, he can catch some passes. He's kept himself in, you know, in really good shape. Maybe he does age better than, you know, we've seen running backs generally do. Um, but I just, I'm not wanting my team to be the team to take a shot on that happening and paying a guy, uh, we've seen it, you know, teams get burnt too often in the past, uh, you know, where they took him back end around one, we didn't even love that, but I think it was more palatable than paying him. Like if they make Mm -hmm. him, you know, a, a man, what is it going to even be at that time? Probably 16 to $18 million a year running back. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, just looking at after his fifth year option, if they got to that point, he would be 27, year, 27 years old in that fifth year option year. You are really banking on on giving a and I'm assuming you it would be at least like a four year contract if they're extending him. Well, so, yeah, and you know what? Here's the other thing that we should bring up is we are 
almost assuming what this contract is going to look like. I should say that we're both under the assumption that we're talking about paying him as one of the top running backs. Now, for whatever reason, he takes a very team-friendly deal and just decides, like, I want to stay in Pittsburgh. I completely understand the way the the running back market is. Then so be it. But again, we're under the assumption here that we're talking about extending him as one of the higher-paid running backs in football. Yeah, we are. And I, I think that there's there's reason for that too. I mean, he's been a productive running back. He's had back to back thousand rushing seasons. Um and he, he he might have a third one this year. And I just I, I feel like that's just a trend where we're going because he was also a fir- he was a first round pick as a running back. And I when I just envision signing Najee, I think about having a lucrative contract with him. Like that's just what I think, but you're right. If he he signs a team friendly deal, then that's fine. And it, even if it is ends up being a bigger deal, I may not love the contract, but just from a Steeler fan perspective, I'll I'll love having Najee around more. Um, his play might diminish. What would you? I, what I, would your number be? Like, what is the most that you'd be willing to pay a running back? Uh, per season or like total contract? Per season. Per season. Yeah. Um, because I when you say total, it's like. Then you start talking about okay, but what's the guaranteed on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so like, um, I would say I'd be willing to like if we were giving an, if you and I were giving Najee a contract, I would be willing to offer him like at my max, I would say probably twelve. Okay, that's I, I was thinking like ten, and I know that that's probably not no, even that, like, he's probably yeah. laughing at that. Yeah, I think twelve gets a gets a little more look than than ten would, mm-hmm. um, but but yeah, and just from a Steeler fan's perspective, like I was saying, like I would be happy to keep Najee around. I I love the guy, the 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 human being is is great. I love Najee, um, off the field and on the field, I I love him. But it's just the running back position has been devalued so much, like you were saying, and you can just the, I feel like the the drop off for running back is not as gradual as a lot of other positions in football. It, it, it can be – I mean, I, I I look at what Adrian Peterson was in like 2014-15, and then after that knee injury in 2016, immediately off a cliff. I, I just – I think that – look at Zeke, and he's not even on a team right now, is he? No, so, and I would say – I'm not saying they're the same player, but like, I don't know. I see, I see some similarities with Zeke and Najee Harris. Leonard Fournette. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, there, there's a steep decline and I don't want to give a guy a ton of money for in year two of that, that extension to, to that decline to start to surface. So I, if you could do four years in front load it, where like pretty much the money's going to be in the first two. Um, I still, w- maybe you could get me to 12 million per season on that the first two years but i just and again i don't think he's taken that realizing okay like this is really just a two-year contract yeah I, and i'd be more open tough. to extending him if they were going to do it after this season and you bought out that fourth year of, of the rookie deal and you you basically like skip the the fifth year option and you just have that as a year of the contract and then he only has two more years after you would have had him already I'd be more open for something like that if it was after this season. But if you're going to wait until after year four or heck, even after the the fifth year option, no, I I don't want to touch that with a running back. New money to a 28 year old running back. It's tough. It's tough. sell for me. Yeah, me too. Um, But yeah, that was it on the Steelers. I just wanted to bring that up. I don't know that a lot of people have really been talking about that, but I think it's really going to come to the forefront here sooner than later. I would say, once we get that Alex Highsmith contract out of the way and like the season gets rolling and stuff, when we start thinking about like, hey, who's on the radar next contract wise? I think people are going to really realize like, oh, Najee's right around the corner. Pat Fryermuth will be one to watch too, but I don't know that we're mm-hmm. really knocking on the door of that yet. I want to see the TJ Hawkinson deal because I think that could be a good comp. So okay. um, it would be interesting to see. But uh, yeah, real quick break again, and then we'll be back to talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates draft. They do take one of the two LSU kids. Thank God they didn't mess this up. We'll be right back to talk about it.
with the first overall selection in the 2023 MLB draft, the Pittsburgh Pirates selected LSU pitcher Paul Steens. Um, kind of leading up to it, we had, I, I would say for the majority of the season, we were on the Dylan Cruz train. And I said, I want to you know, plant my foot. I don't care about other prospects jumping up the board. This is my guy the whole time. I got to say, after watching some stuff, I, w- I was like within the last three days, probably before the draft, I was in the same boat with Steens and Cruz. I, I thought mm-hmm. as long as they took one of those two, I was going to be thrilled. Um, I think it's it's harder for the Pirates. I think it's harder to find that type of pitcher, what Steens could be. And the Pirates will never have that type of guy without drafting him. This is mm-hmm. the exact same way they got Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is not a guy the Pirates are ever going to acquire in a trade or sign in free agency. You got to draft yeah. him. That's what they're taking the shot on here with Paul Steen. So I totally understand them going this route over Cruz. I'm just happy they went this way. Listen, Langford, <clears throat> I would have been cool with. I think he was probably option three for me. If they went the high school route, I was going to be disappointed. Like those two kids could turn into great players down the road. I hope that they do. For me, they needed somebody that could help, hopefully in 2024. If not, and I think Steens will. I think in the case of Cruz Langford, those guys at the very worst are helping in 2025, and I would have been okay with that. I think they needed one of those three college guys that can come in and within the next year and a half or so help out this ball club. Steens does that. I agree. Um, and I, I think that if you if you checked out my thread, by the way, go follow some threads. <laughs> threads. Um, Wait, I need to say something about threads because – Around the 411, if you've noticed, we can't follow anybody on Around the 412 from threads or Instagram right now because for whatever reason, it thinks that we were trying, we like followed a bot account or something like that to try to get more followers. It like Is that why I was locked for me? Of our around the 412 account? Probably. And it said it expires on the 13th. So two more days. But I'm like, what the heck is like, what is this? Would you, did you follow one of the pretty girl bots that, that likes to follow people? No, on I even went through. I even went through our following to make sure it wasn't following anything weird. And it hasn't followed anybody in like huh. a couple months since the Steelers signed, like got their undrafted free agents or whatever. Interesting. I was wondering why I haven't anyway. really seen us on threads. Um, but yeah, go follow yeah. us on threads at around the 412. <laughs> um, but, but, but on my personal thread, I, I did say, and I, I don't know if I said this on Twitter too, but I, I said that I did not think that they were going to take one of the LSU kids. Um, I, I just genuinely thought the Pirates were, were going to pirate. And they were going to take somebody who's going to take less money. Um, so I I just kind of rolled them out in my head. Just kind of, and, and maybe that was like a, a defense mechanism, just preparing for the worst. And <laughs> I'm happy I was wrong. And I'm curious to, to know from what you saw between uh, what you watched about Cruz and what you watched with Skeens. You said like leading up to the draft, like the three days before, you said mm-hmm. that they, they became more even in your mind. So was that more no. so like stuff that you saw negatively from Cruz that brought him back down, or was no. it more stuff you saw from Skeens? Uh, well, I would say definitely watching Skeens more, but I'll say it's not even necessarily about the players. It was about where the Pirates are. Like I said, I just kind of started to feel like, I don't know how many shots they're going to have to get a Dylan Cruz, but they're definitely not going to have many shots to find a Paul Skeens, if ever. Like this is to me a once in a very long time type of pitching prospect sitting there for them to take. Um, I hate throwing around the word generational, but I mean, scouts and people that talk about the draft have with him. Um, <clears throat> so that's why I kind of came around to like Steens as one, a Cruz as one B. I wouldn't have been upset with either one. Like I said, I don't even know that I would have been upset with Langford. I think really the high school kids were, it would have been the ones that would have upset me. But to your point, I woke up and I thought it was going to be Langford that day. Like, and it seemed like the the Pirates did a great job kind of getting everybody off the sniff. Like no one knew what they were going to do except Mm -hmm. for betting sites closed with Steens as a minus 125 favorite. Like right Mm -hmm. before the draft started, it switched from Langford as the only guy um, in minus money to Steens being the favorite. Um, I, I just think Steens changes the trajectory for this rotation so quickly. Like literally as soon as next year, all of a sudden he's the one or two within this rotation and very and maybe quickly it would overtake that one. And it's not an indication by the way of Mitch yeah. Keller love Mitch Keller, obviously, but I mean like, come on, it's, 
that's not a knock on him to say Steens is going to be the ace of the rotation. Right, right. And and maybe to your point, like I, I think that you could look at the case where the Pirates could have going into the season thought about Dylan Cruz was the guy or maybe even thought about Langford or whoever else and then watched the pitching and then looked at the pitching that they have in the minors and realized how much of a crucial need that is at the MLB level for them and and having more starting pitching because they've had those struggles this season. Um, so so I think that makes perfect sense from a, for, for Skeens from that perspective. Um, and you're right. Th- this is a pitcher that you're going to get in is, is – and you th- like you said, generational, and we don't want to throw that 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 arm around or that name around because we don't know for certain. But from what we've seen, Paul Skeens is a dog, um, and and he pitches like one. I I think the only concern, and it's hard to say that I have a concern over a, a first overall player, but the only concern I have with him is how many pitches he's thrown in high school and college combined and he hasn't had yeah. Tommy John yet. That's my only concern. <laughs> yeah. And I, and, and I, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say like, I'm not trying to say he's going to have Tommy John, but for how many pitches he's thrown, if, if he starts to get like elbow tightness or forearm tightness in the next like season or two, it wouldn't necessarily shock me either. Yeah. Um, I was, it, it's interesting enough that we brought up Garrett Cole He's the only other one I can think of that had like a huge workload at UCLA, got drafted, actually ended up pitching some more within the Pirates organization that next that that same season that he got drafted. Mm-hmm. Next season only spent until June, right up and and then came up to the majors. So like very quick ascension, um, and that's what I think that you're kind of looking at here with Skeens, and it's almost like the Pirates have every incentive for him to be up very early next year, as early as possible. He wins rookie of the year. They get an extra first round pick the following season. So every incentive to do so. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much they're because, you know, they say never to draft for need. You look at what they did in this draft, though, with all the pitching they've acquired. I think it's pretty clear that they felt they didn't have enough pitching within the, at least the lower levels of the system. They, yeah, they I looked mean, at their organization the and said, we do not have pitchers. Yeah. They drafted no. little recap here: fourteen pitchers, five infielders, two catchers, and zero outfielders. So I think that that just goes to show top down what they feel about the farm system. They they like their pitchers for sure in terms of the way that they can develop them at the lower levels, and they just got a ton of them in the system. Not that they're going to sign all these guys, but yeah. I mean they're throwing a lot of darts at the position. Yeah, for sure, and I, I think that's smart. And and I'm mainly just looking at the MLB level. I haven't really. I, I'd be lying if I acted like I was following it to all the pitchers in the in the lower levels of the organization as well. But pitching has really been a, a, a huge need in the rotation and in the bullpen for the Pirates at times this year. So, and and we've talked about like guys that are MLB ready. Like Quinn Priest is the only one that is close. And then we don't really have a lot of guys that are really MLB ready. So Paul Skeens, and I'm naming one one, he's the one that is immediately closer to MLB ready than probably most oh. of your other pitchers in your system, outside of Priester. And even Pre- he, he might he might he's might be rivaling think, with who's ready. I think he's more MLB ready. I think he's more MLB ready than Priester. Yeah, so, I think you could drop him into the bullpen right now, and he'd be all right. I I would not say that about Priester. Yeah, and I I do think talking about Skeens is uh. His his pitch count and his his load that he he's taken on at LSU, I I think that the Pirates are not going to worry about his arm like I uh, have a worry, and I'm not even necessarily worrying about it. That's just the only concern that I thought of. Um, I'm sure I would have thought of of one for any player that they would have p- picked. Like, what's the downside? Um, but for Cruz, going to hit for enough he's, power. He's he yeah, yeah right. But I, it, he's not going to be pitching back-to-back starts of 120-plus pitches like in the, the MLB. That's not going to happen. The Pirates are going to to manage him better than that. So I, I'm sure that he is going to be a phenomenal pitcher, and I'm excited about the pick. Happy they picked one of the two LSU guys, like we said. We reiterated. Like I, I thought going into head, I didn't even know if it was going to be Langford. And I know I should have known as soon as Pony mentioned Max Clark that that was rolled out. But for some reason, that's the name I was being drawn to is like, I feel like this is going to be a pirate. And it, the reason is because he's a high school kid who will probably take like two million less than any of these college kids. 
Yeah, I mean, I went in thinking, like I said, Langford. I thought Walker Jenkins actually over Clark would be the high school kid if they went that route. Um, but so to your to your point that you mentioned earlier about like thinking the Pirates were going to pirate the money aspect playing into it, they do normally spend like all of their pool money. I'll be curious to see what these deals come out as though, because so they had nine point seven five million as the slot value for one one. They already had a deal in place with Steens ahead of time for nine point two five. So you're even getting a savings on that first pick. So I thought, man, they're gonna throw money at some high school kids the rest of this draft, but they didn't. Like a lot of college arms were throughout the rest of the draft. Their second mm-hmm. pick was a really curious one. Mitchell Jeb, just one home run last year, doesn't hit for power. Really good hit tool, but really wonky batting stance and like rotation, or I said rotation, path of his bat. Like really weird stuff the way that he hits. Honestly, like I, I saw, uh, oh, Stilo is the one that pointed it out. Pretty Don Kelly looking, the Pirates' current bench coach. And it's, you know how his swing was. It's pretty off uh-huh. uh, kilter, but. Um, good hit tool in college. Curious to see if it translate be, translates because of that. He's also a middle infielder, which we know Sherrington loves, and there's a lot of questions about him being able to stay in the middle infield, which also Sherrington seems to whatever reason gravitate towards. Cape Cod lead guy. This is the one I think uh, the next one that I'm about to mention could be where they're throwing some money over slot uh, is to get Xander Meath. I thought it was Muth. That would have been sweet to have another Muth in Pittsburgh. It's Xander Meath, high school arm. A lot of people have talked about, and I think it was uh, Jim um, from North Shore 9 mentioning, this is kind of like the right-handed version of them taking Anthony Solometto just a couple seasons ago, okay. where it's like a really project projectable body type. The velocity, he can get up to like 94 right now, um, but just the frame is very, very intriguing. He's like 6'6 right now as a high school kid. See if he continues mm-hmm. to grow. Um that to me would be maybe where they spent some money, but again, going down the rest of the board, a lot of college arms, guys that you wouldn't think would have to go over a slot. So I'm curious to see where this like pool money goes because they normally spend the entirety of it. I don't know that that's going to be the case this year when you look at these deals or who. The I'm sorry, I, I, I'm looking off to the side, and I'm really distracted because I really want to find this dude's swing. Um, I'm oh. very curious what what it looks like now. Yeah, so Mitchell I'm, I'm, Jeb, Michigan State is what you're looking for look as we're recording um i want a live reaction to what this thing looks like yeah uh it looks like he should be batting in the 1940s <laughs> that's the best way i could describe yeah. it like if you if it's you very if odd. you if you take somebody who is trying to bat like they they did pre-world war ii or like what you envision they batted like pre-world war ii that's what this dude bats like yeah, I think, but it's worked for him. It'll be interesting to see if it works, you know, in professional baseball. But it's also interesting that he's kind of all over the map, prospect ranking wise. Like MLB Pipeline likes him. He was about where they took him at 42. I think they had him at 44 or something like that. Baseball America, he's lower down. And then fan drafts didn't even have him ranked. And they're like top whatever oh, really? they do. So, yeah, all over the map in terms of what he is as a prospect. Which again is very Sherrington, for sure. Um, but to me, it's like okay, I'm not going like, to hold on. Never mind. He swings like Honus Wagner, so we have a Hall of Famer. I just, <laughs> I just, I literally just googled what what is Honus Wagner swing, and I watched a video, and this dude swings like Honus Wagner. I wasn't side. kidding. He swings, he swings like a pre World War II baseball player. <laughs> not joking. We we need to put that side by side now because that'd be great. <laughs> Um, but I think, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know a lot about these guys after pick one, um, Paul Steens makes the draft for me, you know, obviously they're going to need some of these guys to contribute in some way down the board, but to me, they won the draft the minute they turned in Paul uh, Paul Steens name. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. And I, I don't think after that, I don't really think it mattered what they did from rounds two on. You you got the guy at pick one correct, and I I, I think that this is the one draft where because we don't know the next time they're going to pick first overall. Like we see the improvement, this is the one draft. Well, and it's a have. it's a lottery system now, and it's a they lottery won the system. initial lottery. So they did. Um. So I I think it's super exciting to bring in a guy like that. I I wonder 
I don't know why my mind goes to this. What number is he going to wear? Is he going to yeah, stick with his LSU 20. number? Can't wear 20. I, I can't wear. Oh, yeah. He can't wear 20. Yeah. I don't know what he wore in high school or anything, but was he also 20 at uh, Air Force? I don't know. Let's let's find out real quick. This is a quick Google search away. Um, let's see. At Air Force, he was 23. Oh, is somebody wearing 23 now? That's my favorite number. That'd be sick. <laughs> I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Pirates roster. Oh, it's Mitch Keller. What am I thinking? I was thinking oh. like <laughs> I was sitting here like <laughs> watch it. It'd be funny if it was 22 and I was like, who wears 22 for the Pirates and couldn't come up with it right away. <laughs> That's almost as bad. <laughs> the all-star game is, is tonight and we're sitting here thinking about who number yeah. 23 is. Yeah, that's true. Sorry, I guess Mitch. he could, could reverse it. No, Davis is 32. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he's going to do. But and the thing is, like a lot of pl- players that are currently on the roster are still going to be here. I'm telling you, Steens is going to be here by this time in 2024. I'm not. Re- I'm not going to argue with you, except he's not going to be wearing a good number. He's probably going to be wearing like 73, 60, 67, 67. Yeah, that, that has a good <laughs> vibe to it. 87. I I I see the similarities. <laughs> Paul Skeens uh, one, had one a playoff mustache. Yeah, he had a playoff. Honestly, I was watching. You know, I watched an interview that he did with uh, Pitching Ninja, and I like he looks like Brian Reynolds in the in the interview, <laughs> like when he's in his room doing it. Does he have the same like personality? Like just very even keel, not a lot of emotion. I think there's a little more something there, but this is. I mean, maybe we'll find out when he comes on our show. That's true. Yeah, Jamal texted me and said, "Looking forward to the upcoming Paul Steen's uh, he, interview." He texted me that that <laughs> word for word. Um, but this is going to sound stupid, but like, there's just some guys that have like that it factor, that vibe about them. Obviously, they have to perform, but like to me, him and Davis, Henry Davis, are very similar in the fact that they just feel like they're not going to allow this team to be bad. Like once they're here, like they just give off that vibe that they, they're not going to be losers. I'm just, I'm going to go back. Shout out Nate Williams, Williamson. He's got that dog in him. He has that yeah. dog in him. And, and so does Henry Davis. So like, that's I how we can you're talking that. about like culture changers here. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, and that's what you want because we, we talked about it last year, the year before that. We talked about it this preseason. When do we think the Pirates are going to be good? What does their timetable look like for, uh, I'm not for their even... expected competition or like how they're going to compete? And By the so... way, I'm not mentioning Bob Nutting's comments because I'm not. I don't want to get into that and have a whole other conversation about. And I, I don't even know what he said. So there we go. Un... Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about it some other time because I think okay. it could turn into a very long conversation, but. Um, you guys can look up his, or it was actually, uh, was it per, John Parado, maybe on 93.7? Yeah, I think it was. Um, talking about Bob Nutting's, how he feels internally about the team and like when the plan is to start adding and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into that conversation right now. Conversation that we will get into is follow the link in the description for Rocking Around the 412 and donate. Donations are live. We got to give one big shout out right now to the person that kicked off the donations, Mike in Illinois. Uh, very generous donation. He always comes through for us every single year. One of the first people to support around the 412 when we launched, and he's been there ever since, constantly supporting us, supporting the mission. Can't thank him enough. Um, just a, a great human being that is very charitable, not just with us, but we've seen it with so many other charities as well. But we're very thankful that our paths crossed and um, that he takes care of so many kids literally on his own with just one donation. So big shout out to Mike. Can't thank you enough. Yeah, I agree. And all it took was me to put it on threads. Shout out to threads again. Go follow. <laughs> I did see that. It was threads and he saw it. And, and then and he, he didn't even realize that we posted it on Twitter. And then literally like yeah. 
couple of minutes later, we saw the donation. So yeah, shout out to Mike. He's the best. He's helped us out a lot, helped out a lot of kids. So hopefully all of you will be able to at least, and like we said, if you can't donate, at least share the message, post it on, on your social media. So just try to spread the word about it and get as many eyeballs as we can. Um, also, that's helping a lot of people, but you can help us right now too by liking, subscribing, hit that notification bell, comment down below, leave us a five-star review, follow us on all social media platforms. You guys know the drill on this by now, but do all that. We can't thank you enough. Um, and I think that's it. So for Smitty, for Tyler, we'll be back next week. I know last week we said, hopefully talking about some Eric Carlson news. We'll say it again. And we'll just hope and pray next week. We're going to talk about some Eric Carlson news right here on around the 412. But until then, for Smitty, for Tyler, we'll see you then. Bye-bye.